This is Cultivating Convos with the Ohio Department of Agriculture. And it's fun to have everyone else kind of get a little insight into what we do. Dan, if you could send me a gram of gold. You all laughed at the beginning of this podcast when I turned my fireplace off. Shelby, <laughs> let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. We are once again cultivating convos here at the Ohio Department of Agriculture. I am Shelby Croft, and as always with me is Megan Harshbarger. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to our latest podcast recording. This is our third time at trying to record our intro, so we're going to get through this. <laughs> um, we've got an interesting topic to share with you today. Um, our latest guest is our chief of our enforcement division with ODA. So we would like to welcome Dave Hunt with us on our podcast. Hey, Dave. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us. You know, I don't know that a lot of people out there know that we have a, a quote unquote enforcement division, but we do. Dave comes with a lot of experience uh, in this in law enforcement in this area and covers just a lot of different areas. And I mean, Dave, I'm going to let you take it away for a minute and just kind of give us an overview of everything you're responsible for at ODA. Certainly. Um, the Enforcement Division at Agriculture has three primary responsibilities. Uh, our first one is conducting both administrative and criminal investigations on behalf of uh, Agriculture's nine regulatory divisions. Uh, and if you're not familiar with those, that's the uh, meat inspection, food safety, dairy, animal health, plant health, amusement rides, safety, uh, livestock, environmental permitting, soil and water, and weights and measures. So we uh, we have a lot of varied uh, responsibilities in terms of the investigations we conduct. Uh, secondly, we also oversee safety and security for our 20-acre campus in Reynoldsburg. Uh, we have 12 buildings, which also includes laboratories for not only agriculture, uh, but the Ohio Department of Health and Ohio EPA. And lastly, uh, we also are responsible for homeland security through a continual liaison with our local, state, and federal partners. So that's kind of a, a snapshot of what we do. Okay, from this point forward, I'm just going to take that little snippet that Dave just gave us there for every time anyone asks what ODA does. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. That was awesome, Dave. Sure. Absolutely. Quite a laundry list. And I do feel safe that you guys are watching out for us when we are on campus. So, Dave. Uh, our enforcement division covers a lot, as you just mentioned, um, but dogfighting is kind of your specialty. So if you can talk to us about those kinds of cases and how often uh, ODA responds to them. Certainly. This is actually my retirement career. Uh, I say career and not job because I, I love what I do. Uh, I formerly did this for the Franklin County Sheriff's Office in Columbus. Uh, I was there 32 years, and of those 32 years, I spent 22 years in the Vice Narcotics Unit, and that's how I, I fell into dogfighting, because there's a strong nexus between dogfighting and, and drug trafficking. So knowing that uh, the Department of Agriculture had venue over dogfighting, I definitely intentionally steered myself to where I wanted to work here once I left the Sheriff's Office. So uh, I've been doing dogfighting cases for a, for a very, very long time. I'm a, I'm a dog lover. I'm an animal lover. Uh, so I still get to engage in my passion and still make a difference in terms of uh, eradicating, you know, illegal dog fighting. 
How, I mean, how often do we respond to those kinds of calls? We probably average, uh, I'll say about a dozen cases a year, which is probably fairly low. Uh, when I was at the sheriff's office, uh, I worked dogfighting almost full time. I, I had that luxury that I could do it. So uh, it's an underreported crime. It's a very clandestine activity. So it's hard to infiltrate. Uh, so we, uh, we assist uh, local law enforcement all over the state. Uh, whenever they get one of these cases, we'll jump on board. Uh, we can bring a lot of the uh, subject matter expertise to the table, uh, various veterinary resources and things like that. At what point does ODA get the call? Because I know, you know, it's local law enforcement, Humane Society, I, I believe, also responds to some of those. And then at what point does ODA get called to come in? Uh, typically, it's very early on because uh, one of the major issues uh, still to this day is lack of awareness by traditional law enforcement. Uh, obviously, animal control officers and humane agents, uh, they're fairly well versed in, in this criminal activity. But uh, even today, when a police officer or sheriff's deputy goes through the academy, they don't get any training on it. So if they get a complaint on it, they don't really know what to do with it. They'll reach out to us and then uh, fortunately, we can work it jointly with them early on in the uh, the investigation. So talk to us a little bit. You just brought up an interesting point. Talk to us a little bit about the training that you all have in dealing with different animals. And then uh, I'll have a follow up right after that. Certainly. Um, most of my animal related training came from, again, my former career. Uh, but that's another one of the perks uh, that I think I have working here at agriculture is the number of veterinarians uh, that we have on staff. So uh, when I was hired on back in uh, 2013, uh, my primary responsibility at that time was to kick off the dangerous wild animal and commercial dog breeder programs. So that was right in my wheelhouse. So even though I was accustomed to dealing with pit bulls and, and fighting you know, roosters and things like that, I had to transition into lions, tigers, and bears. And you just led into the next question that I was going to ask. I mean, I was amazed when I got to ODA the the number of different sorts of animals that we cover in this area. Kind of talk to us a little bit about that. You know, working in a narcotics unit, it was very common to come across uh, drug dealers who would keep alligators in their in their bathtub. It was kind of that macho uh, image that they like to portray. So I was fairly well versed in those, but I had no idea the number of Ohio residents that owned, you know, the big exotics, you know, such as lions, tigers, and bears, uh, as well as restricted snakes. You know, the number of people who have venomous snakes uh, or very large constrictors uh, is just amazing. As time's gone on, um, the, the program's actually kind of uh, diminished a little bit. And that's probably because of the way the state law was written. So back in 2014, when the law took full effect, if you had an animal that was classified as a dangerous wild animal or restricted snake, uh, you could keep it, but you had to get a permit with the Ohio Department of Agriculture. Uh, but the caveat to that was once that animal passed away or was moved out of state or whatever, you could not get a new permit. So obviously as animals start to expire, uh, the number of our permittees declines every year. So we're actually down to the point right now that most of the animals that we keep back, back in our building are the alligators and restricted snakes. Uh, we still get the occasional bear or, or maybe a, a cougar, things like that, but 
uh, for the first few years of the program, the building was actually full. It was at capacity uh, with all the, the big animals. Like I said, we, we had a 1200 pound grizzly bear. You know, we had various tigers and ligers and uh, jaguar. I, I mean, the list goes on and on. So uh, they're starting to pass away due to age. And uh, with that, at some point, you know, we probably won't have any permit holders in the state. Wait, you... a liger is an actual animal? I thought that was from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> it, as did I. <laughs> but fortunately, we have veterinarians. So, no, it, it's a cross between a um, uh, a lion and a tiger. So we did have one liger here who was very oh. temperamental, by the way. I uh, He was very, very rambunctious when we had him. Oh, my gosh. Facts. You heard it here first. Ligers <laughs> exist. Yes. <laughs> wow. How do you restrain a 1,200-pound bear is my question. You know, um, the big problem with him, and he was actually a big teddy bear. Um, I, I actually loved uh, watching him back in his enclosure, and uh, we had these big water troughs that were designed for farm animals, but he would use it like a jacuzzi. Uh, he, would, he would sit in this tub and eat grapes and watermelon and various other items and it was just like he was sitting in a jacuzzi so he had quite the personality but uh, whenever we had to move him uh, obviously he required a lot more uh, tranquilizer uh, to do mm -hmm. it safely oh my where did he end up going do you remember yes uh there's a um a sanctuary out in colorado uh that takes a lot of our bears and then there's a sanctuary up in Michigan that takes uh, the remaining amount of our bears. And then depending on the breed of animal, we contract with several sanctuaries across the country uh, to ultimately take the animals if we end up having to seize them. Okay. Yeah, I think that's something important to note uh, that, that they, they do wind up in sanctuaries. And, uh, and also I think it's important to know along that line that uh, each sanctuary is highly vetted uh, we want to make sure that uh, the animals go to uh, responsible facilities, that they're well cared for. Um, our assistant state veterinarian, Dr. Dennis Summers, actually travels uh, periodically to the sanctuaries to make sure that they're still maintaining, you know, adequate care for the animals. Okay, so Dave, last question. Mm -hmm. What would you note as the most interesting case you've been involved with at ODA? Great question. I would say it would probably have to be uh, a bear baiting case uh, that I did in Southern Ohio uh, back in 2017 when I was still an agent. And um, bear baiting actually falls under the animal fighting statute, but in this particular circumstance, the individual who had a permit with ODA and he owned a bear uh, was using it to train hunting dogs. So the dogs would chase the bear within an enclosure and basically tree the bear. Uh, but because the dogs were making contact with it and uh, close proximity with humans, uh, it, it qualified as that. So during that case, I eventually learned that that was the only bear baiting case that had been done in Ohio, at least going back to like the 1930s. Because uh, I was trying to research the legal aspects wow. and things like that. So that's definitely one that stands out in my career that there aren't too many law enforcement officers in Ohio, probably none, uh, that can claim they did a bear baiting case. Wow. That's interesting. Very interesting. The books. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. I don't, Dave, is there anything else you want to talk about or add that um, we haven't asked you? Probably touch lightly on the commercial dog breeder program. And, you know, um, Ohio has traditionally been a, uh, a high volume dog breeding state. Uh, it's closely monitored by various uh, groups such as the Humane Society of the United States, ASPCA, PETA, so on and so forth. So, uh, but with the new law that took effect also back in 14, you know, we've aggressively tried to uh, ensure that, you know, people who engage in uh, the selling of dogs or, you know, even puppies within Ohio uh, do so in, in a very safe and uh, environment for the animals and you know, they get adequate care and things like that. So, and then also, I think it was last year, we also took over uh, regulating pet stores uh, in conjunction with that. So I think Ohio is very progressive in addressing that particular activity. And I think we've been fairly successful. Great. Well, Dave, thanks for hanging with us and sharing some of that information about the important work that our enforcement division does and some fun facts and some wild, serious wild animals you've been in contact with. So, <laughs> oh my. Yes, oh my. Just, this is Katie, the producer, and I was just going to jump in and say, how do you restrain yourself from saying, oh my, every time you say that phrase, probably a million times a day. Yeah, well, my my daughter got me out of that, so. <laughs> I've been dying to say it. I know you've said lions and tigers and bears like four times. Yep. <laughs> Oh my. All right. <laughs> well, Dave, it has been a pleasure. I always enjoy hearing your stories and hearing everything that we cover in the enforcement division. And now everyone else knows. So we really appreciate awesome. you being on. So yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for everyone this, out there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> thanks everyone out there for listening. And we will see you back here next week. Bye everybody. Cultivating Convos is created by ODA's communications team. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest episodes in your feed and like ODA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for up-to-date news about agriculture in Ohio.